Okay, hello there, and welcome and happy holidays to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Adam, I just wanted to send out some birthday greetings to the Hollywood sign. Oh, yeah? Which turned 100 years old this December. Oh, wow. So, happy birthday to one of the most famous signs possibly on Earth. But definitely in California and has probably been a star of many, many movies over the years, I would imagine, right? Even though it was like almost uh, left in ruins in like the, the 60s and then there was like the big effort to rejuvenate it in the 70s. And one like, of the people behind that was Alice Cooper. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Good old Alice. <laughs> he just keeps giving. He does. Yeah. He's like the Dolly Parton of... of <laughs> goth death rock or whatever he does now i don't know <laughs> yeah no he's uh he's a gift uh to music but also to mankind which i think is uh, <laughs> a good message to start off our show with uh okay open sources is cfru's political and current affairs discussion show and you can find us here every thursday at 5 p.m as we talk about the latest news items from guelph ontario canada and around the world and we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians However, since this is one of our two end-of-the-year shows, although there is technically some overlap because uh, we're doing one show this year and one show to start next year, um, regardless, uh, the movies. So uh, we always take one of the last shows of the year to do political movies or to talk about four political movies. I choose two, Scotty chooses two, and we just sort of like talk about, you know, why we like them or why they're political and lessons learned and influences on pop culture, you know, as you may have understood in some nine years that this show has been on the air, uh, the the pop culture references do get in there. (laughs) That's right. Usually Simpsons related. Although, Mm -hmm. although strangely, the Simpsons movie has not come up yet, uh, not to spoil anything that may be on anybody's list this year, but I mean, that's a political movie. Next year, we can both pick it and then just talk about it for half an hour. But regular <laughs> listeners will know that Adam and I don't know each other's picks until this very minute. So that's right. That's we're right. always wondering as to what's going to come up. Uh, you want to do a rundown of what movies we've done so far? The Absolutely. Yeah. Two movies we've done so far or and in one case, TV show, because uh, one of us cheats. Mm-hmm. Um, just right. one time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Borgen, Land of Freedom. Head of State, W, Suffragette, Wiener, Dixie Chick Shut Up and Sing, Mitt, I, Daniel Blake, Saving Capitalism, You Can't Mess with the Zohan, Get Out, Fahrenheit 11.9, Sorry to Bother You, They Live, White House Down. And maybe you understand along the way which one of us chose what movie, but I'll leave that there. <laughs> uh, Chappaquiddick, Knock Down the House, Parasite, Election. The Front Runner, The New Corporation, The Unfortunately Necessary Sequel, Lincoln, Selma, On the Basis of Sex, What is Democracy, White Squall, Falling Down, Judas and the Black Messiah, Freelancer on the Front Lines, In the Heat of the Night, and The Purge Anarchy. So that's where we've been so far. Let's find out where we're going next. Uh, Scotty, you want heads or tails? Tails. Tails. I'm going to flip the coin. Coin generator here, and it lands on heads. Oh, 
that's the second time that's happened this year. We mm-hmm. did pick a number on the 300th episode of end credits and I won that. I mean, totally fair and democratic method. Though. Totally fair and democratic. I, I'm just, I'm just lucky when it comes to <laughs> internet generators. All right. First down. So, <laughs> first down. <laughs> the internet likes me, which hopefully bodes well during the AI wars to come. Uh, <laughs> all right. My pick, my first pick this year. Um, Okay, so there was a there was a podcast miniseries earlier this year that came out in the summer, and it was about Vietnam movies, or more precisely, um, movies about the Vietnam War. It was called "Do We Get to Win This Time," which is a line from a movie called Rambo: First Blood Part Two. But I went with First Blood, which was the movie released in nineteen eighty two which kicked off the Rambo franchise. And it is the redheaded stepchild of the Rambo franchise, even though it's the first one. Mm-hmm. Because it is probably, oddly enough, the least political, or at least least political in terms of like jingoism or um, America, let's call it America firstism. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's directed by Ted Kotcheff, who is actually a Canadian. He was born in Toronto. Uh, was the youngest staff director at the CBC ever, uh, graduate of U of T. Um, after that, he made fun with Dick and Jane, the original one. Mm. Um, and then later in his career, he made Weekend at Bernie's, the first Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, so quite the career uh, of Ted Kotcheff. Um, I do wonder, First Blood probably is his most well-known um, but the story is simple. John Rambo, Vietnam veteran, is kind of wandering through the countryside. He's in the Pacific Northwest. He comes to this house. He's looking for a war buddy. And uh, he asks, I, I think it's supposed to be his his war buddy's mother. And uh, he finds out that his, um, his buddy died from cancer due to exposure to Agent Orange, which when rewatching this, I could have sworn the the buddy had died by suicide, but it turns out, and I think it's actually sadder this way. He died by exposure to Agent Orange. Um, and so we, we find out later that this is, this essentially makes Rambo the last surviving member of his unit. So he continues wandering. He comes to this town called hope. Um, funny fact, this is actually shot near a place called hope in British Columbia. So mm. um, a little bit of unintentional messaging here. Uh, naturally, Rambo finds no hope in hope. Uh, the local sheriff sees him wandering by, picks him up and drives him to the edge of town and says, hey, get lost, you bum. Uh, Rambo doesn't do that. He said, walk, starts walking back into town. And uh, this leads to Rambo being taken to the police station. And like this is, talk about a dissertation about police brutality. This sequence mm-hmm. where he's taken to the police station and they, like hose him down and... Um, just kind of brutalize him. He escapes into the woods and uh, this leads to sort of like a massive chase um, where they're trying to bring Rambo into custody, essentially because the sheriff takes him into custody for like vagrancy, but now they're like expending like incredible police resources to chase this guy through the woods. And through the course of the film, um, this uh, Green Beret emerges. Uh, Colonel Troutman, who was Rambo's commanding officer, tries to get the sheriff, played by Brian Denny, Teal, to call it off. Uh, it really is kind of like an Ahab story. Like Teal mm. is like 
he's not going to take this, you know, Vietnam vet bum, uh, you know, sh- you know, showing him up and, you know, essentially taking out his entire sheriff's department. Um, but it's, I mean, it's got that great action of the of the eighties, but I mean, it's also very a very serious movie. Um, and Stallone is really good. I don't think Stallone gets nearly enough credit as an actor because uh, he he has he's really great at like portraying this hauntedness of John Rambo. Like you know, John Rambo's seen some stuff because he has this kind of like dead deadness in his eyes. He, he he's he's very warm and friendly in the beginning when he's like going to his buddy ha- buddy's house and he thinks he's gonna like catch up with an old friend. And that kind of like kills him inside a little because that friendliness kind of goes. And then I don't think he has more than five lines of dialogue after that until uh, Troutman gets him on the radio when Troutman arrives at the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, manhunt. <laughs> and and so, you know, they have this exchange on the radio. And then he, he doesn't talk again till the end of the movie when he comes face to face with Troutman at the police station. When he tries to kill, when, he, when Rambo tries to kill Dennehy, mm-hmm. and it's this really great monologue where Stallone, uh, as Rambo, talks about how you know you made us into this, like just like these berserkers, like these guys who can go out in the woods and like kill and never have to worry about like being civilized and then you drop them drop us back into civilization you expect us to turn it off and we can't turn it off and all his buddies are dead um he was made into a war machine now there's no war and he has this breakdown he has like an emotional breakdown and stallone and i'm I'm kind of impressed by this he he makes rambo in that moment seem like rambo collapses like just physically um, because you know Stallone's not a meek guy by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. um, but it, it does he he does a really great job making Rambo feel small in this sort of like moment of realization. Of course, famously, Rambo is supposed to uh, or First Blood, I should say, is supposed to end with Troutman shooting Rambo, or, um, because there is this exchange where Rambo tells Troutman to kill him so that you know he essentially ending his his pain and his trauma and said he's taken into custody. Um, apparently audiences hated that ending and Stallone being a pretty good, having a pretty good sense of what audiences wanted knew that. And so they also filmed an alternative ending where it's the one you see in the film where he's, he's taken away in cuffs. Um, also this, like as this power ballad plays, I completely forgot about this. Like this song, it's a long road by Dan Hill, oh. who, who also wrote sometimes when we touch um and perform that song <laughs> so it's like you have this beautiful ballad about it how it's a long road and um the, the struggles you encounter on it and how rambo is uh is is a destroyed man but it's um it, it's so hard to reconcile just like the tone of this movie with when you get into the first sequel mm. um and you know which is essentially about um reclaiming or rewriting the end of the iraq or not the iraq war maybe we can read into about a bit but um reclaiming the, the end of the vietnam war where it wasn't because of like uh you know any systemic failure it wasn't about um the fall of u.s empire or anything like that or overreach or it, it was essentially that the good guys like rambo the good soldiers they weren't allowed to win like somebody mm-hmm. didn't let them win like maybe liberal Democrats or something. And now in this time of Reagan, 
Rambo's being sent back to Vietnam to recover POW so that this time we can win. And it's just, you know, looking back at that now, it just like rings so freaking hollow. It's, it's, it's kind of incredible that you get this movie, which is like just terribly anti-war, terribly <laughs> um, sort of look at what we do to our veterans. Look at how we like discharge them and mistreat them. And uh, I mean, and look at what our army is now, because there's a whole thing with the National Guard unit who are just like played as like sort of pitiful weekend warriors who are just like out there to fire rocket launchers and sound like tough guys. And, um, you know, this guy who's really seen some stuff and been through some things is the guy who's kind of being tortured. Um, and yeah, then you I can. Mean, yeah. So I was going to say that America spent so long hashing out and fighting the Vietnam War mm-hmm. well after it was over in the movies and in yeah. TV and in media. Because America doesn't lose, right? Well, that's but what, that, yeah, that's what it, that's what that podcast series was about. You think we could win this time? Was about how, um, it went from like the, the movie The Green Berets was released in like '66, like just as it was picking up, and it was this jingoistic thing with John Wayne and everything. And then you get into the '70s, and you get into um, Apocalypse Now, and and then you get into the '80s, where it's even kind of you get First Blood, you get Platoon, and then you kind of get into the the turn of the millennium and you, you get like we are soldiers and all these other movies that are you know kind of more optimistic jingoistic like america's great even when we lose america's great which is so bizarre but anyway and then into iraq and always shadowing everything that's going you know real events yeah always shadowing it but yeah first i haven't seen it in a in a while i think i probably saw it on late great movies which <laughs> some of you may remember <laughs> and it was one of those i was a bit reluctant at first to watch it because it was well into i think the sequels had had come out by that point mm. but it is very very good film like i i it may in my view may be stallone's best work i think simply because mm. it's still it's kind of it it's similar to rocky in that it has a quality to it that's not quite hollywood right yeah yeah it has a bit it has a bit of an independent feeling to it which of course has gives it this editorial context that disappears with the sequels and and all of that stuff that you were talking about where it becomes a product of the reagan era yeah i mean if there's one thing that america and you know most film industries love is the underdog story right it's a standard thing where it's like somebody who has been wronged for whatever reason, and maybe they've broken the law or maybe they haven't, but that just keeps on giving. I'm mm-hmm. especially in this genre too, where like maybe along the lines of Jason Bourne or I mean, even Bond to a degree, it's always like you know, somebody's somebody's after him. Like it just, I don't, I wouldn't say First Blood was the first film of this, that type, but I think mm-hmm. it kind of set things up for the following. Was that that's 40 years now, isn't it? Is it early 80s? uh rambo uh, first blood was 82 yeah yeah so we're talking 40 years on now but there's a i don't know i guess an archetype in there that just just keeps on there will be that type of movie made every year for the rest of time of a style right yeah and not necessarily of the quality but i think pretty much every james bond movie since the 80s has been about him going rogue in some capacity yeah, he's, he gets his card taken away and the little <laughs> his little Walter PPK taken away and yeah, uh, the no, funky car and I mean, Mission, all the Mission Impossible movies are about that to a certain extent too. Ethan Hunt is always like ex whatever they call it, excommunicated or discharged or something, and he has to go rogue. And but anyway, 
Yeah, and you uh, can send it to Marvel too, right? Like, yeah. there's always something happening with the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, true, true. X Men, it's all like, oh, you're you know on the fringe. But anyway, yeah, that's yeah, an excellent excellent pick. Okay, I, I let's. I'm very interested to hear yours now. So my uh, slightly obscure, of course, and I don't do this intentionally, so Adam and I don't cross over, but I uh, picked up a good film from the Guelph Public Library, actually, nice. called Be- called Between Two Worlds. I'm not sure if you've heard of this one, Adam. It was released in France and in Europe a couple of years ago. It's a fictionalized version of a story, a true story, by a journalist named Florence Aubernay, who is a big deal in France. Mm-hmm. The uh, original title of the book is called Le Quai d'Oustrem, which is a port city in the north of France. It's actually where the uh, DD D-D, Day landings took place. Mm-hmm. But that's not the story. The story is is about a journalist whose name is Marianne, who uh, em- embeds herself via a job placement service uh, into the cleaning industry and cleaning gigs. So she's a custodial person. And then kind of works her way through a series of crappy jobs to get what is supposed to be a better job on the ferry service that runs between Oostram and Plymouth, Plymouth, UK. So it's like an overnight ferry Mm -hmm. and they have to service this thing. And I think it's like a limited window, like an hour and a half and get everything done. (laughs) So of course, this is a journalist person who has no experience. He's actually, I think in, I'm not sure in real life. But I know that in France and in Europe, where they take uh, journalism a bit more seriously than we have been in <laughs> in North America, mm-hmm. that it's it's it can be a fairly they have a certain respect for people in journalism. So there's a certain amount of glamour, and of course, to get that glamour, they cast Juliette Binoche, right? Yeah. Who may be the epitome of 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 glamorous French people, but of course, um, presenting as a custodial person, she becomes a bit more. Uh, let's say working class, right? Has to has to fit in and uh, try and tell the story of these people and evaluate what's going on and do an examination of <clears throat> precarious work, which, as we know, is is the way of the world now mm-hmm. for so many people. The mm-hmm. whether it's the French underclass or here in North America as well. Um, I mean, and even within that, they're able to find moments of of joy and you know talk about their dreams. And there are, you know, somebody that moves out of that to a better job, which I think is just at sort of a cafe somewhere. Mm. So, I mean, you know, talk about realism in terms of it's, it's kind of, uh, even though I've been banned from picking Ken Loach movies, <laughs> and he's just done his last one. It is, this is kind of Loachy, I would say. I was going to say, this is the Ken Loach memorial pick for this year. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Although Ken Loach is the, still alive, yeah. <laughs> yes, but he's eighty, late eighties now, and is kind of packed in. But you can, you, it definitely has that feel to it. There's a lot. There are, I'm certain, there's people in this film that are just sort of kind of pulled off the street, maybe even actual cleaners. I didn't do that much digging about mm-hmm. it, but yeah, it's a bit of a genre in in France and even in, um, I guess European movies in general. But France, in particular, there was a there's a string of them about the plight of a working woman in in France. Mm. They're all a bit similar. There's one called Full Time, uh, which is, I wouldn't say it's almost identical, but it's not an embedded journalist, but somebody who is in precarious work. And again, it's a glamorous French actress. Same with, uh, uh, what is it again? Two Days and One Night had Marion Cotillard. I'm not sure if I picked that, but I was going to one year about a woman working in a solar panel factory. Oh, yeah. So it's something that... 
something that the French do really well mm-hmm. in terms of portraying the working class. And you have to sort of, uh, you know, suspend your disbelief, I guess, in, in the in the main character and that, you know, like, here's this, oh, I'll say Hollywood or the European machine person uh, in that role. But um, and some of the other characters, too, there's a woman named uh, Ellen Lambert who plays a, a worker called Christelle who becomes you know, um, Marianne's work bff Mm -hmm. uh definitely a lot of potential there in terms i think she's like a up-and-coming actress there and did a really good job you know a woman with three kids and the husband's gone and that usual story but Mm -hmm. i thought the pick of uh, the name marianne was interesting because marianne as a name kind of represents the nation itself of france and people who know like um Britannia represents Britain and right. Lady Liberty in the States. I don't think we really have a Canadian equivalent, but Anne Murray. Anne Murray, there you go. <laughs> she must have a statue somewhere. Right? Uh, I mean, if she doesn't, I mean, what are we even doing? Snowbird plays and we all weep. So <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. So so yeah, in terms of in terms of that type of film, a good solid pick. And like I said, available at the, at the library if you want to check it out. But they they play politics there a little bit differently when they what they consider like a movie, you to les politique. It's not necessarily like all the president's men, let's say, and directly driven by a political thing. It's more how would you put it, like humanitarian or and again, kind of like Rambo, like a single protagonist. Yeah. Who have the odds stacked against them to do to accomplish this task, right? So definitely it's, worth checking out. It's not something you see in a lot of North American film, this kind of like I mean, working class perspective, um, kind of, but also um this kind of like mix of I guess verite, where you're kind of bringing in people who are actually living the lifestyle and you're having them um, you know, co-star along with essentially one of your biggest actresses. Uh, the closest thing I can think of is like Nomad Nomadland with uh Frances McDormand as a oh, as a yeah. woman is kind of living in a in a van and traveling to and fro. Like a lot of the supporting characters in that are like people who are actually living the life, mm-hmm. playing versions of themselves. Um, but I mean that's probably the closest parallel I can think of to something like this. Yeah, and if you've if anyone's seen Made, that mini series on Netflix, yeah. This film is very reminiscent of that. And I think she is also an author or a journalist as well, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. I think so. So there, there is, there's a bit of a parallel there. If you liked, if you liked Made, the miniseries, which I couldn't pick because we're only supposed to pick <laughs> <laughs> uh, between two worlds, is definitely should be on that. Uh, should be on your list. Uh, yes, I, um, I, I have not. I think I've heard of the film. Is I, I don't think I've, it's something I've. Um, I've watched so I, I i did it it is something i've heard about um, yeah, i'm hoping to track down a translation of the book as well because it's totally would be on my pile <laughs> reading pile yeah well i was curious what's like you you said she was doing this as kind of like an undercover assignment like what mm-hmm. what is her goal like what is her end game in this not maybe not her, to spoil her, anything but no it, it won't spoil it but her her goal was was is and was to tell the story of the people in this situation. Okay. It's and, not like uncovering corruption. Cause like, that's the other thing. It's like, Ooh, there's something going on in this industry that we have to get to the bottom of. It's just, it's kind of like slice of life. Like this is what it looks like for the other side. It's very, it's uh nickel and dimed. People may know that book by 
Barbara Ellenreich, Ehrenreich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never pronounce her name right, but th- which is is one of my go to top ten books in terms. It's in fact, the parallels are are very similar to this. Was uh, nickel and dime. She takes on a bunch of very similar jobs, but usually waitressing. Mm. Uh, so it's it's it's. I don't know if it even it may have even inspired her to do this. I'm not sure of the timeline, but mm. there is a bit of a subtext which which isn't thoroughly examined, but has been examined. Another French film is about the. Uh, immigrant class and refugee class who hang around in port the port cities of uh, well all of europe for the most part yeah and, and super political story there because it's just um a mess let's say and yeah. i don't mean that in a positive or negative way but it's there's there's just this there's sort of a hint at that and it, i think it it that's also a sub genre of of french film i can't remember the name they actually have a name for it where it's like we, we examine the um uh the immigrant class from mostly from africa and post-colonial places mm. it has its own it, it, that's it's that's another realm of, of french cinema as well mm-hmm. they hinted that and so they're they kind of name check it like oh you know here here are the people hanging around the port city and t- tell a little bit of their story but it's it's really just one scene but mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's i mean that's a whole other thing that you could cover on its own mm-hmm. um uh, and also something that's just kind of like radically misunderstood is just like sort of the connection between immigration and um, undocumented peoples and, you know, doing the the jobs that, uh, you know, everyday, whether it's everyday American or Canadian folks or French folks don't want to do. And I want to set the record straight for uh, Mr. Ken Loach. He does have a movie coming out or that did come out this year. Um, the, the Old Oak. Yes, The Old Oak impossible to track down which is typical well it was it was at con so i guess like they still will you know roll, roll out the red carpet for for ken loach at con uh, it came out in the mm-hmm. united kingdom and france i guess it maybe doesn't have an american dis- north american distributor yet yeah and sadly but... since thomas video is gone uh <laughs> <laughs> which had its own dedicated section where i first discovered all of those films some of them on vhs uh yep. yeah so now it's which who do you download it from is how it goes now like which which service do i need to subscribe to for a month so i can watch three things and then cancel it so yeah that's the long and the short of which it. is a pain but that's yeah. that's the way we roll in 2023 and this is a old man hurts moment brought to you by <laughs> uh, let me tell you about loading eight millimeter films in the basement <laughs> all right um let's uh hit a couple of buttons here and switch over to our musical break (laughs) you're listening to open sources guelph you're on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio hi this is justin trudeau you're listening to cfiu 93.3 guelph campus radio Seven to go. 
When I seen a man chilling with his dog at the park, I approached him very slowly with my heart full of fear. Looked at his dog, oh my God, a ill reindeer. But then I was yelling because the man had a beard and a bag full of goodies, 12 o'clock at noon. So I turned my head a second and the man was gone. But he must have dropped his wallet back dead on the lawn. I picked the wallet up and then I took a pause. Took out the lights and then it cold said Santa Claus. So in the spirit of the season, that was part of the soundtrack of the movie Die Hard. It's been in several other films. Christmas in Hollis from 1987 with a great Run DMC. <laughs> and that's in honor of uh, Adam's wonderfully written discussion about why Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie for the doubters out there. Yeah. If, if, yeah. Doubters. You still don't get it. Which includes Bruce Willis, I think, at one point, right? It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> Uh, I mean, dude, it's got Christmas music in it. How could I? Know? I remember, I remember Jerry O'Connell appearing on. This has nothing to do with Die Hard, but he was on an episode of Conan years and years ago, and he's talking about how he, he he was in he was in college and he went to a film class, and they're talking about Stand on Stand by Me, and of course Jerry O'Connell was in Stand by Me, and the professor starts going into like Christ images in the film, and Jerry O'Connell sitting there going like, "There's nothing about Christ in Stand by Me." <laughs> 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 so it's just you know it, it's it I, I i get where bruce willis is coming from you know sometimes it's hard to see uh the forest for the trees when you're standing there in a bunch of pines but anyway chris diehard christmas movie believe keeps it keeps on giving it does keep on it is it's a gift that keeps on giving diehard watch it every year um all right let's get since i started last round why don't you start this round Okay, well, my my next pick is a documentary surprise. Another another surprise, yeah. It's a film called Push, and I know, and you would know this, Adam, but I'd heard that there's another movie called Push. I I don't know who's in it. This this is Push, the the Canadian documentary. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, interestingly, it's available for download at tvo.org, and there is a feature version. And a shortened version, so depending on your time commitment, you can either watch an hour-long version of this film or an hour-and-a-half-long version of this film, which I think is a nice thing that they do for us with mm-hmm. time constraints. Anyway, 
<laughs> Push is about an actual special rapporteur. <laughs> <laughs> also in keeping with stories of the year, the UN special rapporteur on adequate housing at the time was the, her title. Her name is Lalani Farha. She's now the director of a uh, an organization that she started that I think may have actually come out of her adventures in this film called uh, The Shift, mm -hmm. which is a group that advocates for housing as a human right. And that's actually what this film was about. So it follows Lalani Farha on her travels around the world, literally around the world. And this is just on the cusp of COVID. Mm-hmm. And she was investigating the, well, near universal problem of inadequate housing and everything that surrounds that. So she said, and this is a few years ago, she's like, we're at an incredibly urgent moment, mm -hmm. which has gotten worse mm -hmm. since it, it's not as if the housing problems that we see around us, not just in Guelph, but beyond are a new story, but there, there's this arc. And in this film, they kind of address the arc that begins when housing became a commodity sometime in the 80s 90s the investment potential of homes mm -hmm. uh the fact that you know these things are assets rather than place for people to live which is the human right at you know which the, the basis of this entire thing mm -hmm. so she had gone to went to a variety of countries focus on London quite a bit because this was in the shadow of the Grenfell tower disaster, which people right. remember was, um, council housing, community housing that caught fire due to the surrounding gentrifiers. Didn't want to look at this ugly building, mm -hmm. the cladding on it caught fire and 80 plus people died. And they spoke to somebody who was a survivor of that and other people that were in that and the ramifications of what came out of that as to where do we go what are we supposed to do some of them owned their places in there and it's it's still that's something that's still not resolved mm -hmm. so other there's there was a, a list a entire list of countries went to sweden um i'm well, london as a country maybe it is cities as well new york italy korea berlin spain the problems are the same everywhere or similar yeah and it's not just, I don't want to give too much away, but, um, and I would say this is probably one of the aspects of this movie. Don't expect any solutions from it. It's mostly information. It's not as if, uh, that could actually be the sequel if they ever do one. It's like, what should we do to fix this? There wasn't that much of that in this film. Yeah. I always like documentaries that, that kind of guide you towards here's what's happening or here's what we can do or here's what you can do or what the world should be doing. It's more of a presentation on her uh travels yeah so what do we have what what do we need for people to live a dignified life is the question and it mm -hmm. doesn't just come down to you know it's it's easy to beat on gentrifiers and all of that that mm -hmm. we're well aware of in this town <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere but you know the prices of things the rent is too damn high why are things too damn high why are there entire neighborhoods in london like really classy is it belgravia the at the neighborhood of mansions why is that empty we saw during covid there was a group of anarchists that took over one of these mansions that was empty they were squatting there and they're like this person owns this place they haven't been here for x number of years why can't we live here mm -hmm. and then of course they're you know it's a great fanfare cleared out 
usually with pepper spray, sometimes worse. That's a bit of an aside that doesn't actually appear in the movie, but they do visit that neighborhood and and the person to talk to is like, you can see that this area is empty and goes on to give the reasons as to why. Mm-hmm. And it generally involves capitalism, right? <laughs> uh, and then an, another, some of the other ones, she goes to Sweden and there's a worldwide organization you may have heard of called Blackstone mm-hmm. who will invest specifically in community housing and social housing, buy it up for doing a deal. And then of course it becomes jack up the rent and also kick people out to renovate uh, who will never get that type of housing or opportunity probably ever again. Where do they go? Mm -hmm. So the story in Sweden is the same as it is here, is the same as it is in New York and Korea and all of these places. Maybe not all the places. And as I said, that was maybe the shortcoming of this film. They didn't address places like Finland where they make a point of like, here's a house. Yeah. How do you, how do you solve the housing crisis? You give people housing with few to no questions asked. Like you need a place to live. Here's a place to live. They seem to be doing that there. Now that, as I said, that's not addressed, but it is important to know the backstory as to why housing worldwide generally is such a disaster. And this film will definitely give you a lot of intel and information as to why that is. Yeah, I, like the, the scope of the problem is so massive and there are so many like intersections of business and just, I guess, kind of, I think there's like kind of an old-fashioned attitude as well in people. And, I, you know, I see that at city council a lot. It's like, you know, when people talk about, you know, nimbyism, and I think that's those that's kind of become a I don't know, it's it's become one of those things that people use that they don't kind of fully understand. So it's like it's you know, just because yeah, there are people who will have the same complaint about any development and don't want their neighborhood to change, even if it means getting more people housed. Um, but sometimes there are legitimate complaints too. And you know, you do have to kind of listen. But it's it, the problem is just so massive, and I think I haven't seen this doc, but I, from from the sounds of it, it's just like, it's helpful to understand. Number one, uh, our problems with housing are not u- unique. This seems to be sort of like a problem across the the Western world. And uh, two, it is as big big as you think it is, and maybe it's right that they don't come up with like because I think sometimes docs walk that fine line too. Mm-hmm. Um, of like here's some easy solutions i think you know a lot of climate change movies get into that and it's like yeah, yeah it's things are bad and they're getting worse but it's okay because if we just change our attitudes yeah. like buy an electric car and recycle it'll all be great and it's like uh, i think you're underselling the solution <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that the list of stuff at the end of an inconvenient truth right yeah yeah you know, eat yeah. more seaweed or whatever it was it was like yeah it's not gonna do it but don't you mean eat bugs? Eat bugs. Oh my god, we're gonna eat bugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as you're saying about bugs. Yeah. (laughs) Like you were saying about I think when people default to nimbyism or even just sort of saying gentrification, which I famously have as well, it's Mm. a bit of an easy out, right? Sure. You need to get the whole scope of the thing. Or like you mentioned city council, when Mm. they always say, Oh, housing's the county's responsibility, or housing's the province's responsibility, Doug Ford, Doug Ford. Or it's a federal responsibility, this mm. default thing. Put it this way. The past few weeks, across the covered 
bridge a lot in town. We're getting super local with this push, and they could have come to Guelph probably. <laughs> There's somebody essentially living on the covered bridge right now at the junction of the two rivers. Mm. And it's always interesting to me how seeing people walk over the bridge and the reaction to this person living on the bridge. Mm. My, and my reaction to that, and I've said this before and I'll say it to anybody, that is proof that we are failing. Mm. Your city is failing. Your province, all of the levels that are that have some responsibility with housing, which is all of the levels politically, are failing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how, how do you house that person? You mm-hmm. get them a house or something resembling a dwelling. Right. But it right. is it, it is that there are, are the people living in Allen's Mill now, right? Yeah. So you, it, now there are people popping up in places where it used to just be you're off in the woods and now you're is very, very visible. Or people camping, which I think prompted that whatever from city, not from city council, from the mayor himself, the mm. people camping in the flower bed in front of city hall. It's like, look. Look at this. I don't know if that was intentional, but it's like, here is the issue. What are you going to do? Rather mm-hmm. than just talk, what are you going to do? And that's what it's all about, right? Uh, I mean, In that, my world, anyway. Oh. No, no, it's, I mean, that's completely true. And I, I think Guelph today, somebody from Guelph today talked to the person who was living in that tent set, like, you know, just to say like, hey, why are you popping a tent here? And it was a matter of safety, right? Because, yeah, you can go live in the woods somewhere and have some relative privacy but i mean uh what happens you know you're all alone in the middle of the woods nowhere else is around you know but you pop a tent from city hall there's usually traffic whether it's like people traffic or people walking into city hall or people walking to the parkade or whatever or the board security guard right yeah yeah i mean there's somebody at like just you know behind that door at that desk usually at all times so it's yeah it's a matter of safety I, i think that's probably that's an interesting conversation to have at some point. It's like, well, wh- why are we seeing kind of more tense in the open? Is it is isn't an expression of like the depth of the problem, or is it an expression of just like people needing some kind of security and and need to feel secure, um, you know, so they're out in the open where they can be seen, and if something happens to them, they it, you know it can be seen, or there's a better chance of it being seen. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's so massive. Well, some of the powers that be had sprung for 90 Carden, mm. which they could have done, or Community Land Trust or something, but none of that happened. So it's just on the same street. Mm. Anyway, mm-hmm. we we totally diverged from the film. Just as a reminder, it's called Push, <laughs> available TV Ontario. I highly recommend folks check it out that are, as we all should be, concerned of this issue. Well, it's easy to find, that's for sure. Um, I I think this one, my second pick, I think it's easy enough to find. I'm pretty sure it's streaming on Prime. I'm old fashioned and have physical <laughs> media, so me too. Uh, sitting there on my shelf. Um, but it's a little movie, from 1991, and uh, the de- the the events it depicts in the film just marked their 60th anniversary a month ago. Uh, it's called JFK. It's Oliver Stone's magnum opus about mm. the assassination of John F. Kennedy. But more than that, um, if you know, living in a world of like conspiracy theories and misinformation and disinformation and all of that, um, probably it's safe to say that patient zero of a lot of these. Uh, or the mainstreaming of a lot of these thoughts and ideas was 
Oliver Stone's JFK, um, which is based on two different books. On the Trail of the Assassins, which was written by Jim Garrison, who is the main character of the movie, played by Kevin Costner. And uh, another book called Crossfire, The Plot to Kill Kennedy, written by a man named Jim Mars. Uh, it essentially covers this, I guess, six-year span from when John F. Kennedy is killed to when uh, there's this trial in New Orleans of uh, this man named Clay Bertrand who is allegedly a co-conspirator in the plot to kill Kennedy. Um, it, it is worth noting that that is the one trial that was ever held that was connected to uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. It's worth noting, too, that, um, I mean, some good did come from this movie and the fact that uh, the U.S. Congress um, opened up a ton of Kennedy files. Like, they, they shortened the timeline for when a lot of these files were to be released. Um, there's a line from uh, Garrison gives in his closing summation where he says, "Like I, I keep telling my son every day that to eat healthy and and to to live healthily so that he can be alive in 2032 when all the files are open." Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> but looking back at this movie, which was incredibly successful at the time, it was like got you know it was uh, blockbuster. It got eight Oscar nominations. Interestingly, the two at one for cinematography and editing, which is like speaks to the the film craft of it. So there's recognition that this is an exceptionally well-made movie mm-hmm. without kind of endorsing, <laughs> endorsing the content through something like a best screenplay Oscar or a best picture Oscar. Um, I, you know, looking back at this now, and I, I watched it for the second time this year because I also watched it um, in relation to an end credits thing we did uh, around Oppenheimer. Um what strikes me is that in the 1990s, you watch JFK and we're like, oh, my God, my my senses are open. It's because, oh, my, this government craziness and all these conspiracies <laughs> yeah. everywhere. There's literally a line in it where Garrison wakes up from a nightmare um, in the middle of the night and his wife tells him to go back to sleep. And he's like, I've been asleep for three years because um, <laughs> he's having this revelation about like the the. Um, uh, you know, all the, the quote-unquote conspiracies around killing Kennedy. I look at it now through the lens of sort of where we are with conspiracy culture. Um, Jim Garrison looks like a freaking QAnon Q-pill crazy person. <laughs> it's, it's, everything's connected. Every hole leads to another hole. Um, I mean, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald starts out and, like, it, it's funny to watch the evolution of Oswald from, like, He's blamed as, you know, he gets tagged as the guy who shot Kennedy. Then he's a kind of a pots. Then he's kind of a patsy. Then he goes to like this. He's kind of in this conspiracy. He's a player in the conspiracy. Then he's a patsy again. And then Garrison, uh, again, in his closing summation, he says to the jury, like, who grieves for Lee Harvey Oswald? He's like in an unmarked grave. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, now we're kind of pitying him because now he's like the name that's associated to this grand crime that no one is going to get prosecuted for this essentially uh for people who haven't seen it uh stone's thesis is that kennedy was planning on uh pulling out all forces uh i mean the vietnam hadn't really ramped up yet but there were american forces and advisors in vietnam at the time he's going to put a stop to all of that and the cold war and the arms race um make formal peace with the soviet union 
tear down the CIA and other structures of like American military malevolence and um, focus on civil rights and the war on poverty and all that. I think historians, I mean, there, there's reason to suspect, you know, would Kennedy have ratcheted up Vietnam the way Johnson did? That's debatable, but I think it's somewhat unlikely. Um and I think a lot of historians would agree with that. Um, but that's sort of Stone's theory, is that Kennedy was going to usher in utopia and uh, the military-industrial complex couldn't have that. And that's something that occurs again. Uh, Stone made a, a biography of Nixon, and there's essentially like a, a scene, I think it was a deleted scene, um, where Nixon goes to see Helms uh, to get these papers about the Bay of Pigs invasion. And there's a little there's a literal scene where Richard Helms' eyes go black as he's talking about like how <laughs> there's a beast in the American government that has to be fed. It's <laughs> it's really pretty out there. But um in JFK, yeah, it's some of it like so much of it seems kind of quaint now. Because there mm. at, at once there's this like the government had it all figured out with like Oswald duplicates and setting this up but then also there's and you kind of see this with conspiracy theories now like you have these all-knowing all-seeing malevolent forces who also leave some pretty big gaps open for you know the the true believers to find hmm. um and there's there's a key line there's a, a people probably the most well-known sequence which when garrison meets this guy played donald uh played by donald sutherland who just goes by x who like lays out lays out the whole breadth and width of the conspiracy, but X has this line where he says, "Fundamentally, people are suckers for the truth." <laughs> and there's in a 2023 reading of that, there's a really what I found a really profound double entendre: people are suckers for the truth. Well, sucker implies a kind of, I guess, gullibility, <laughs> and you know. If you're gullible, then you'll believe anything's the truth, won't you? And so it I don't know if again, this may be a 2023 reading of it, but like isn't isn't like X essentially saying, like, I'm you know, people people will believe anything. And like he pretty much launches Garrison onto like the most, you know, again, the most cupilled phase of this. Like he's got like until this point, and I hate to use the phrase, but Garrison is a guy asking questions. And then he goes kind of full blown uh, conspiracy theorist. Like there's the, there's a whole sequence where he's watching the TV the night Robert F Kennedy's killed, and it's filmed like a nightmare. Like he's having a nightmare. Mm. Like he's having like a, a seizure in real time in real life. Um, it, it's just incredible. And it, again, it's it's so funky to look at this movie from a 2023 perspective and look at you know Jim Garrison and all these people as not not so much the heroes like these Davids versus this goliath but as kind of like these deeply misguided folks who seem to be willing to believe in anything and of course i mean there's also a reading of this um looking back because clay bertrand uh was uh, a closeted gay man mm -hmm. and so there's kind of like a, a kind of persecution complex in the film that you know here's jim garrison attacking this queer man and saying he's responsible for killing the bright and happy future um, 
which is kind of a tough read in 2023 as well after everything yeah. that's happened this year. <laughs> and I think at the time that was a bit contentious. It wouldn't be now. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's uh, why well, I, I, you were talking about old media. I'm pretty sure I saw this like on film in war mem as like the movie <laughs> of the week that they used to show on a Sunday. So it is the uh, it, it's JFK is the conspiracy that keeps on giving. Right. Oh, for and sure. actually, Sticking with that, the very first film film that I saw on the internet, and believe me, I've been on the internet for a long time, mm -hmm. probably since those days, when film was new on the internet, the first thing I watched was the Zapruder movie. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't YouTube then. It was, I don't even remember what the hell it was, but I was a technician, and they're like, hey, look at this. And I was like, wow, that's the JFK film. I'm like, wait a second, there's movies on the internet now? But that just <laughs> kind of speaks, that speaks to it. And, you know, this is like, this would have been mid to late 90s. Mm -hmm. what's the first thing that comes out and i remember the first thing i watched on youtube ever was the hanging of saddam hussein which was recorded on a very crappy phone mm -hmm. so and it's and there's conspiracy talk about that as well right mm -hmm. it almost group in the entire iraq war along with the vietnam war in terms of the the reasons as to why that happened have conspiratorial roots right Mm -hmm. Gulf of Tonkin in, in Vietnam's case and in Iraq, it's like, oh, they've got weapons of mass destruction. So it's no it's no wonder that people will read so much into this. And of course, with the pro not prompting, but Oliver Stone's theory, which is sort of it's a pile on. Yeah. And then I don't know if you heard recently, Adam, about that. Somebody who was there the day Kennedy was shot, like was in the cars and was like, oh, I had this other bullet. This yeah. just came out a couple of months ago and it's, it's supposed to be, it's always like new Kennedy revelations. Mm -hmm. There was a bullet on the seat of the car. And so I grabbed it and then I took it somewhere and it's like, so it's never going to end, mm -hmm. but the, I mean, it may end too, because the people that were involved are dying or are dead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what will seal it unless there's a banker's box somewhere in Dallas or whatever, that's got <laughs> other stuff in it that hasn't been found yet or there's true confessions written somewhere we really don't know the truth of the kennedy assassination and i think that's why well as we were talking about conspiracies a couple weeks ago it's number two yeah on people's lists of i don't believe that that's what actually happened and there's lots of reasons for that right like like oswald getting assassinated a couple of days later yeah. by a man who was terminally ill who was connected with the mob who was there's just too much of that which yeah. is the kernel of truth and the reality of it for it just to be a straightforward thing that was just sort of the political aspirations of uh, the USSR or Cuba or whatever. There's way more to it, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I think we don't know the full measure of it, but I think what's interesting is, I mean, there's conspiracy theories tied just about every major event in US history in particular, but just about like every major world event. You know, you can go back and watch old episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, and it's like, did Butch Cassidy really die in <laughs> Belarus? It's like, you yeah, know, there's an Argentina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, nothing you think happened, happened. And, you know, again, in JFK X has a line where he says, like, uh, you know, it's, it's all window dressing. Oswald, Ruby, the mafia, Cuba, Russia. The You know, the real question is why? And I think yeah. that's maybe... The, the piece of this missing but you know there's the case of the i can't remember his name but there's this like really famously corrupt new york judge in the 30s um who just disappeared 
And it was like a, a like an urban legend for years about what happened to him. And then in like 2005, 2006, like somebody was cleaning out their mom's attic and they found like a lockbox with this letter that was like a confession <laughs> to the judge's disappearance and explained where the judge was buried, which unfortunately they can't get access to because there's like there's a a, a building on top of the the site where he's supposedly buried. But um, yeah, it's yeah, like where's it's, Hoffa? Where's I think that's what it's going to yeah, take. It it yeah. will be where where is the the final secret memo that reveals all? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting uh, side note to wrap it up. Uh, JFK comes out in 91 um, also comes out in, 90, in, in 91 the first software that allows users to log on to the internet to access the world wide web so JFK and the internet are born in the same year I remember it well <laughs> <laughs> alright well that's an end of our movie show uh, once again we hope you liked it and you can listen to us again or listen to any show anytime you can download it every Monday from our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can get it from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. Stay connected to us on social media. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will return to CFRU on Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter X, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at a regular time on a Thursday at 5, please stay tuned for the great Turtle Island Underground. And if you're joining us before January 1st, Happy New Year, because uh, that is coming up. And in the meantime, there are more great programs here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. As for this show... We will return next week for our award show. So stay tuned for that. We will see you next week on Open Sources 12. And until then, see you next time.